Welcome to the NCA podcast. This is Jill Annable, Executive Director for Academic Excellence here at NCEA, and we have a great show ahead of us. I have with me Pam Patnode, one of the NCA authors who has a great new book called Me Puede Enseñar Can You Teach Me? A Guide to Educating Hispanic and Latino Students in Catholic High Schools. This is hot off the press. Pam, we're so glad to have you. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you, Jill. This is fun for me to be a part of the podcast. We're so glad. Um, Okay, so we need to hear a little bit about you and your role in Catholic education. Um, And I'm hoping you can tell us what led you to this book. Sure. So uh, my role in Catholic education, uh, I guess, quite accurately began when I first was married, the first 25 years of our marriage, I volunteered at our parish as a catechist. And so I was working with young elementary children. I worked with high school age children and everything in between. While we were raising our children, we were called to homeschool for 12 years. And so we practiced Catholic homeschooling. And it was during those years that I realized how much I loved teaching, how much I loved education. And so as our children were getting older and leaving the house, I went back and got a Master of Theology degree from the Augustine Institute. And then I went to get a doctorate in educational leadership and so that I could um, teach then and work at a traditional Catholic school, a kind of a brick and mortar type of school. And so I guess you could say that I support Catholic education quite literally in all of its forms, um, from the faith formation parish perspective, from Catholic homeschooling to the traditional Catholic school. And it's such a privilege. The last five years, I've been working at Chesterton Academy in the Twin Cities and serving as both an educator and a dean. So Uh, That's a little background, I guess, on my roles in Catholic education. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love hearing people's stories. They're always, um, they're always fulfilling to hear people's pathways and, um, and you have a unique one. So thank you for sharing that. I had the honor. Um, it was just in the beginning of May. Um, we have a new interim or we have a new CEO president elect, um, Lincoln Snyder here at NCA and our first chance to meet each other. Uh, we were going to meet up in Chicago because Chesterton Academy was having their discovery days and Lincoln was going to attend. So I I drove over there from Michigan so I could tag along and and learn about Chesterton as well. And I did not connect your name in this book to Chesterton until your colleagues at Chesterton said, hey, you're publishing one of our colleagues' books. And so so that was my introduction to you, Pam. And then, um, ironically, I came, came back from Chicago and was tasked with learning more about you and this book in preparation for the podcast. So I feel like that was, you know, a planted seed by God that I could see your work um, at Chesterton a little bit. And now um, I can see all of this great contribution you're making to educating Hispanic and Latino students in all of Catholic high schools. So I want to make it really 
clear that the book is really broad in that I, I really do feel like um, anyone in a Catholic high school should be picking up this text. It's a great one to study. Um, even if you are unsure of your student population, I think sometimes we're not even great at understanding our students' needs. But this is a great um, starting point, but it's also rich in research. So you can also pick this up if you feel like you've already been doing the work um, of serving English language learners, I, this text also speaks to you. So I, I just want our whole audience to understand that this is a great book for every Catholic high school to have on their shelf and to study together. So I really want to dive in and hear more about this. Um, how, do, how are you connected to this topic and where, where did that interest come from? Sure. So uh, the interest, I guess, was planted as a junior high student many years ago when I first started taking Spanish. And I have had the privilege of studying the Spanish language all through college. I lived with families in Mexico and in Spain and just developed this love for the language and the love for the people. And so anyway, I speak Spanish, I teach Spanish, and um, I happened to be invited at a parent-teacher conference here at Chesterton a number of years ago. I was asked to accompany a student and the student's parent, and this parent did not speak English very well. And so I was asked to accompany the student and the parent and serve as the interpreter. And as we went from one teacher to the next to the next, I learned that this student was really struggling. I was then asked to accompany another student and this student's parents, again, who had limited English ability, and I served as an interpreter. And again, similar story. We went from one teacher to the next to the next, and this student was really struggling academically at the school. And that's what caused me to start asking questions. Well, what's going on? Why are they struggling? Is it the language barrier? Are there diagnosed learning disabilities? What are we doing to support these students? What are other Catholic schools doing to support these students? And I started researching so that we could do the best job possible to support the students at our school. And it turned into my doctoral dissertation. <laughs> and um, so then what I did is really rewrote that dissertation into a more user-friendly format. And that is how this book was born. Yeah, it's that's incredible because if you all the work you did is very readable, even though it's very research heavy, and so that's that's a great balance. That's hard to accomplish as a researcher and as an educator. I you right in the beginning in the first chapters, you talk a lot about the history of um, English language learners, specifically Spanish speaking students, um, their success or lack of success in schools throughout the U.S. And then you specifically narrow in on research um, that others have conducted before you about Catholic schools. Can you tell us a little bit more, dive in a little bit more to that? Um, because you give a great nod to those who came before you in doing some research um, and then posing really good questions for your own study in the chapters that follow. 
Sure. Yeah. So as I was researching to figure out, well, what are others doing to help this student population? I was surprised to learn, well, first and foremost, the English language learner, which I usually use the letters ELL um, to refer to an English language learner, but an English language learner, that po student population is the fastest growing population in the United States right now. And 80% of that student population speaks Spanish in the home. So it is a rapidly growing population and right now in the United States the Hispanic Latino student population is at great risk for academic failure uh, depending on the district that you're looking at you can see dropout rates as high as 20 percent and in my own uh, area here in Minneapolis if you look at the graduation rates from 2018 in the Minneapolis School District, and if you narrow into that Hispanic, Latino, English language learner population, you'll see that only about 50% of them graduated on time. And so this is a real need. And unfortunately, the pandemic has only made this academic gap, if you will, it has only widened it for this student population. But what was interesting is that when I was conducting this research, I also learned that Hispanic Latino students who attend a Catholic school are 42% more likely to graduate from high school and two and a half times more likely to graduate from college than their public school peers. And that caused me to ask, why? What is it that these Catholic schools are doing to achieve this success? Because I know it's not that they have more resources or more training or, you know, more money to throw at the problem or anything or the challenge. So what are they doing to attain such high levels of success? And those were the questions that I started asking as I continued with the research, because I wanted to know what we could do at our own school to better serve this student population. Yeah, that's incredible. And I think we all have the anecdotal stories that, to support that, but for your ability to see all of the data um, in a quantitative way, it was very fascinating for me to, to look at. And what's funny too, and this isn't about your research, this is just a sidebar, is that, you know, we, we sometimes, as from an Anglo point of view, sometimes assume that since a Latino um, or Spanish-speaking population may come from a very Catholic heritage, you know, just a long-standing tradition of Catholicism in their culture, that they may come to our schools um, with a deepened uh, understanding of theology. And that's not necessarily true either. I think the same issues of uh, of generational disaffiliation exist. And so it's not as simple as, well, they are scholars in theology and that helps them. That's not necessarily, you know, um, the connection here, but there are many other facets of 
being in a Catholic school and the community in a Catholic school um, to surround all of that work. Um, and you dive into a lot of that on the academic side. But I just I think that's just something that we're growing to understand more deeply. And I don't have any of the research in front of me to quote, but it's fascinating to see um, the complexity of of changing popul of changing student populations throughout our Catholic schools is something that we're all trying to do better and better at. So um, I don't know if you have learned anything to in that regard either. Well, you know, one thing that's interesting too about that, Jill, is when you look at the Hispanic Latino population that identifies as Catholic, only three percent of them are attending Catholic schools. And so there really is a marketing opportunity for Catholic schools who want to try to attract more um, students from this Hispanic Latino student population. There is a real opportunity for that. And then regarding the faith component, uh, one thing that's interesting that I talk about briefly in the book is the emerging research that shows how important faith is to academic success, which seems really strange, but there's emerging research that demonstrates that the faith of the institution, um, and then research also that's looking at the faith of the individual, when faith is practiced, when faith levels are high, academic performance tends to improve. And so that's something so important for Catholic schools to recognize. Don't abandon your faith traditions thinking that you need to implement just a better STEM program or something. No, the faith tradition is absolutely imperative to the overall well-being and success of the students and emerging research is demonstrating that or showing that. Well, the pursuit of truth, you know, can is the lens through which we can approach every other content area. And I think that's that's freeing of the mind, you know, that that allows, you know, our minds to have curiosity and wonder and all the things that we want of our students. Um, so, yeah, it sounds like we could talk about that all day, too. I want to get back into the book a little bit, because one other connection you make is the connection between English language learners and students with disabilities and those who follow into both of those categories and then, you know, tips on what to do in those moments. Can you tell us more about that work? Sure. So that is really a complex issue. So, um, First of all, I should mention that for my research, I defined an English language learner as anyone who speaks a language other than English in the home. And that is a very broad category uh, because it can include students who were born in the United States and have attended English-speaking schools their entire life, and they're now in high school. It can also include a student who just arrived to the United States from a Spanish-speaking country, and they are just beginning to learn the language. And then it can include everyone in between. The reason I used this as the definition as opposed to try, trying to discern a certain level of proficiency is because when you are speaking Spanish in the home, 
rather than English, for example. There are some challenges that these students face that a student who comes from an English-speaking family does not necessarily have to face. So for example, if the parents are not proficient in English, then they're less able to help a student with their homework at any grade level and in any subject area. Because if the parent doesn't understand English, they won't be able to assist a student in homework. The other reality is that if, you're, if the parents are struggling themselves with English proficiency, they're less able to communicate with the school. If they have a concern about their student, they're, they're less able to talk with the teacher about that. Um, they're less able to understand the communication that's coming home from the school, which is difficult then for the student because dates might get missed or misunderstood. or um, and, and so that poses a different level of, of challenge. There's research that suggests that parental involvement at the school level can help a student academically, but if the parent is... Uh, not proficient in English, then their ability to become involved at the school level is is limited. And there, and then there's cultural elements too that the book goes goes into a collectivist worldview that many of these Hispanic Latino families share, which is very different from our individualistic worldview. And I I talk about how that affects students in the classroom, how it affects relationships, but. Um, so an English language learner is somebody who speaks a language other than English in the home, and that in and of itself can lead to some challenges, uh, certainly with the assistance that a parent can offer, and then also with the development of academic language for the student. Then you've got this added complexity of special needs. And the challenge when you're working with English language learners is trying to discern, is the student struggling because they're trying to acquire English? Or is the student struggling because something else is going on? There's an undiagnosed learning disability uh, that's maybe overlooked because it was assumed the student was struggling simply because of the language barrier. And so that adds a whole nother level um, you know, of complexity to the issue. But, but at the end of the day, Jill, the truth is that we're working with kids. And we're working with adolescents. And these students want to learn. But they just may need some help from us so that they can access right the content of this rich Catholic education that we're trying to provide. So whether it's due to a diagnosed learning disability or whether it's due to challenges related to acquiring academic language, uh, it's up to us to help determine which supports will be the most beneficial for each individual student in each subject area so that we can help them attain their potential. That's so true. And I think so many of us have had those moments where you're discerning, you know, is this something that do we need special educator support or do we need English language support? It is a very um, relatable moment. I think many of us have been there and finding your partners who understand Catholic education and can un unravel that with alongside a family 
um, you know, is just really important work. And I love that you reminded us, though, that, you know, at the end of the day, these are children and it's okay to try things. It's okay to be vulnerable in those conversations and say to parents, we're figuring this out and this is really complex. And we're, we're thankful for your partnership as we, as we navigate this and support your family. I think those conversations, um, really show who we are as Catholic educators, um, as opposed to, you know, a very sterile approach to trying to diagnose and, um, and, and do the work, which it all needs to happen. But I think we have a great approach in Catholic education to do this very well. Um, you mentioned a bit about cultural practices um, that help us to do better um, at serving ELL students. And one thing I would, so I was gonna ask you, what's the one thing you wish all Catholic school teachers and leaders understood about cultural practices that support Latino ELL students? The one thing I would say, and then I'm just hoping you can add to it, is I wish everyone understood the difference between an individualistic and communal uh, cultural um, norm. Um, that was a big, a big moment of learning for me in the last couple of years is understanding how um, certain cultures gravitate toward individual success and communal success. And, um, and that has really shaped my view. Um, but what else should all Catholic school teachers understand um, if they're just diving into this topic for the first time? You know what, I think what I would love for them to understand is how very, very important it is to learn about the cultures of our students. There are some very good and sincere Catholic educators who will say, you know, I'm not racist, I'm colorblind. I see all of my students as the same. Well, we can't because they're not the same. And we all want to be recognized. We all want to be understood. And so it's important as Catholic educators that we take the time to learn about the differences of the cultures of our students. And like you said, so we can understand, I mean, at a very basic level, are they coming from a culture that really embraces a collectivist framework, or are they coming from a culture that really embraces this individualistic framework? But researchers also have shown that English language learners, um, many of them have, and this is in quotes because it's what the students say and what the researchers have found, that many of these students have, quote, checked out from their educational experience by the time they get to high school due to years of feeling that their language, their cultural traditions, and their histories are not valued in the classroom. And I just think that's so important as Catholic educators for us to, that should give us pause. Wow, you know, are we, by our actions and our lack of understanding, causing students to not feel valued, causing students to check out, or even worse, judging them incorrectly because we're misinterpreting their behaviors, um, not understanding what they truly reflect. And so I, I guess I would just say, 
It's so important that we genuinely care, that we genuinely show interest in our students, and that we genuinely try to learn about their cultures. I love that. That's great advice. I I was, you know, I was jotting notes as you were describing that. That was fantastic. Um, in working with high school students, I, I taught English, so I could very clearly see, um, even though I didn't know how to solve all the issues, I could understand the complexity of serving ELL students, but that's much harder for teachers in other content areas because the academic language is so um, difficult. Vocabulary and content in science and social studies and history, reading primary source documents in history, all these all these layers are really complex when serving ELL students. What advice can you give to all high school teachers regarding how English language learners can, can succeed with their content area nonfiction that's required in their courses? Yeah, great question. And it's going to you know, depend on each individual student and their level of proficiency it's also going to depend on each uh, subject area because each subject area is going to have different ways for students to demonstrate mastery. And so it's important though for each teacher, A, to be learning about the cultures of the students. And then if they notice that a student is struggling in their classroom, have a conversation with your academic dean or whoever it is in your school that helps to serve the students and say, this is what I'm observing. Do you have any thoughts on this issue? Because there's lots of ways that we can help, um, but it depends, you know, on the ability of the student. One thing on the language ability of the student, but one thing that is interesting is it is not uncommon for English language students to notice their grades drop in ninth grade. And that's because they are confronting the sophistication of high school academic language. And just like you said, Jill, it's across every subject area. I, I was thinking about this last night, actually, as I was thinking about our discussion today, and I was reminded a few years ago, I was asked by our art teacher to, um, he, he said, boy, I'm, I've got this student, she's an English language learner, and she scored very poorly on a quiz, but yet is engaged in the class, and I had provided a study guide, and what, what can I do to help? And he, he sincerely was, was wanting to help this student and just needed some ideas. So he gave me a copy of the quiz and I sat down with this student and what's interesting and, and I want to share this example because I think it's illuminating for a lot of teachers. It's that aha moment where you go, well, no wonder the student scored poorly. Um, the first question on the quiz said, which artist was known for his maritime motifs on ceramics? The student did not know what the word motifs meant, and the student did not know what the word ceramics meant. But if you're not sensitive to it, this teacher is exceptional. He's a fabulous teacher, and he did exactly what I recommend. You know, 
ask somebody about this. This is unusual um, because it, it could be easy to assume the student didn't study, the uh -huh. student didn't care. If they had only put more effort into it, clearly they didn't look at the study guide. We can make so many wrong judgments, but when you pause and realize, holy cow, they just didn't understand the question, it, it helps us recognize ways that we can help. And so really, it's it, as teachers, if we notice a student is struggling, it's an opportunity for us to pause and start asking questions you know, again, with whoever it is, it could be other colleagues. Are you noticing challenges with this particular student? What are you observing? What are you doing to help this student? It can be with the academic dean or whoever is in your school that helps the students. But have the conversation. Don't pass judgment. And and there's so many ways to help. You know, with some students, um, we've had students who have come with very limited English proficiency and in literature classes, we provide them a copy of the text in Spanish. They conduct the conversation in class in English, um, but they might be reading the literature in Spanish. In other classes, we look for different ways that they might be able to demonstrate mastery. It might, it doesn't always have to be um, an essay or a 10-page paper or something. And, and for some classes, if you're doing an in-class exam that has an essay portion, uh, look for content understanding more than grammar excellence, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so, but it, it really depends on each individual student and each individual subject area, but really as teachers, we're in the business of learning, right? So we want to be the ones who are learning still, and that requires us to pause and have some conversations so that we can figure out the best solution for each particular student. Absolutely. And this is so much harder to do in practice because it's vulnerable. As a teacher, we've all had these moments. I am I was an English teacher. I love to play with words. And it was actually my aha, which, which goes back to yours, was this moment of uh, serving a student um, in my class on the autism spectrum and realizing that the complexity of my question wasn't going to help him. Like I needed to simplify what I was asking for. And it was their job to show complexity in their written answer, not for me to confuse students with my words and my question. And that's humbling because we think we know what we're doing. And then when we ask for help and realize that we're actually just serving students, oh, it's hard, but it's really good. Um, and it's I think I think that all of this work that you're describing really helps us as educators to examine why am I teaching this? What is the goal of this project or assignment or assessment? Um, how am I? How are my students showing that they have proficiency on the content and the skills and the thinking that I need them to do? And how might they get caught up into the reading and writing when I'm really just looking for deep thinking? And so um, I appreciate your example and and how much you explain there. I want to make sure that we get a moment here to talk about. Um, the clear, you had a clear overarching theme with um, your study. And so that clear theme um, was associated with all the success of the students that you were studying 
And I really want to hear more about this because it goes back to some of the questions we had earlier today about um, serving all students and having clear mission in Catholic schools. Right. So when I was conducting focus groups and interviews with different Catholic educators in these high performing schools that had really diverse student populations, a hundred percent of the the people responded that the key element for this student population to have success was focusing on the whole person. And that Catholic education, which is founded on this principle, needs to make sure we continue to focus on this whole student approach. Uh, what's interesting, so 100% of the people that I interviewed and did focus groups with commented about this. It's interesting because it's highlighted in the uh, Sacred Congregation for Catholic Education's 1977 text, which is called The Catholic School. And it, it reminds everyone that the school must begin from the principle that the educational program is to be directed to the growth of the whole person. But the what's in the book that you've seen, Jill, is, okay, that's great, but what does that look like, practically speaking? How do we support the whole student in the classroom? What does that look like in the hallway? What does that look like in the lunchroom? What are the practical steps that administrators and teachers could be doing to support this whole student you know, approach, looking at really specific things we can be doing academically, what are specific things we can be doing culturally and spiritually, and then also to provide kind of this college-going um, culture at our school. How can we support students in that? And so the specifics, the really tactical, practical ideas then are, are addressed in, in the later chapters in the book. That's great. And I, you know, I was learning quite a bit in this section about the Jesuit tradition, and I'm hoping you can teach us a little bit more about, um, about the pattern of the answers that students were giving for their success and, and how is that rooted? It just teach us a little bit more about how that's connected to, um, to the Jesuit tradition in education. Well, it, so as far as the Jesuit tradition, one of the schools that I spent the majority of my time at um, it comes from the Jesuit tradition. And one of the things that they do each and every day is they pause at a certain time every day as an entire school to pray. And they practice and examine. And it's led either by a student or it could be their peer minister, or it could be a teacher, um, but it takes place each and every day. And what's so important about this is it goes back to the need for Catholic schools to not lose your Catholic identity. Our faith practices are so important. And so we don't want to get so caught up on trying to be just like the public school down the street that people no longer recognize that we're a Catholic school. Um, as I mentioned earlier, and as it shows in the book, research, emerging research is showing how important 
uh, faith is to the overall success of students. And so this practice of this particular Jesuit school that I spent a great deal of time at uh, really highlights that. And they take that seriously. Every day, the entire school pauses. Students are in class and pencils are set down. The teacher stops lecturing. Everybody pauses to practice this Jesuit tradition of an examine. It was really beautiful to observe and, and to participate in. That's great to hear examples of that. I think every school is continuing to, to try to enrich um, their Catholic identity and, and prayer throughout the day. And I, I, it was just so great to see that the success of your study, um, you know, was, was hinged on this. And I, this is just such a great part. Um, and I hope we're not giving away too much of the book. There's plenty more in there, obviously, but it, it was just such a great, great way to bring it back to our roots, which, which sort of brings me to my last question. There is certainly a call for more research in the area of English language learners and Catholic education. Um, we're just really hitting the tip of the iceberg for our for our audience and especially those in higher ed. You know, what do you suggest should be and could be the next research questions to explore? Well, clearly this whole student approach um, is really of value. And like I said, I go into great detail in the book of what does this look like, practically speaking. I think more research in Catholic schools, both in the elementary and at the high school level that really focuses on this whole student approach would be of interest. I think it would be also of interest to look at this whole student approach with different student populations. This one focused on the Hispanic Latino student population, but it might be interesting to look at different student populations, whether it's different ethnic or racial um, or cultural backgrounds, whether it's students with learning disabilities, whatever it is. Um, I think that might be urban and rural. You know, I, I think there's a lot that can be researched. I also think it would be of interest to see if there are any public schools that are really focusing on this mission of the whole student and what kind of success are they seeing and how are they practically uh, living that out. And so I think it would, there is a lot of research that, that can yet be conducted, and it'll be interesting to see what, what researchers find. Yeah, that's great. And that's, I mean, when you're in the thick of it, you realize where the gaps are and what you were hoping to find or what you, you wish someone had studied. And you just gave a great outline for those who have interest in this area. So thank you for that. Um, again, I'm just so glad to have you with us. Our author today was Dr. Pam Patnode. Um, the book is titled Me Puede Enseñar, Can You Teach Me? A Guide to Educating Hispanic and Latino Students in Catholic High Schools. You can access the, the text and order your copy at nca.org. Thank you, Pam, for being here. We're so glad to have you. Thank you, Jill. God bless you. Yes, God bless. God bless.